Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we've been riding and reviewing recently over at blisterreview.com. And if you are planning to camp in the Gunnison Valley soon, especially up by Crested Butte, please make sure you're up to date on the latest camping regulations. Some formerly dispersed camping areas have been converted to allow camping in designated sites only, and we've included a link in the show notes with everything you need to know. Okay, so today on the show, I'm talking with Sabra Davison, who, in addition to being an extremely impressive mountain biker, is also the co-founder, executive director, and this is my favorite job title that I've heard in a long time, adventurer in charge at Little Bellas. For those of you who might not be familiar with Little Bellas, they're a nonprofit organization focused on getting girls riding bikes and developing the confidence, camaraderie, and fun that comes along with that. Sabra has a great vision and a ton of interesting insights on how to tackle that very worthy goal, so let's get right into my conversation with Sabra. Hey, Sabra, thanks for coming on, and it's great to have you here. Let's start with the high-level stuff. For people who might not be familiar, can you tell us a bit about what Little Bellas is and does and what your role is there? So Little Bellas is a organization of girls. We run camps and programs for girls on mountain bikes. It's not as much about the bikes as you'd think. It's more about singing, building confidence, picking flowers, taking kids out on a single track, and making sure that they feel confident enough to ride over those scary roots and rocks that are ever so big when you're seven years old. Uh, so it's really about having fun out on bikes in a group of females. Um, and so my role is the executive director. Um, while we may be centered around females, we are an organization that is actually both gender. Uh, so we have a lot of guys involved that are very impactful. Super cool. And so when it comes to bikes, I gather you come from a pretty strong background on that yourself. Uh, well, you're, for one, your sister Leah is a World Cup XC racer and two-time Olympian, and I hear you aren't exactly a slouch on a bike yourself. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background with bikes and and all that. Oh, man. I mean, our family has just grown to love bikes so much. It's part of like our family structure at this point. You know, Mother's Day, everybody gets on the bike and goes for a ride. And this last Mother's Day, I think um, I taught my mom how to ride down this like class four dirt road and not to skid and lock up by feathering. And, uh, and so that was like what our Mother's Day encompassed. And so I feel like bikes have a certain duality in my life where I'm either riding with a seven-year-old or training uh, for the world champs with my sister. So there's no in-between. It's either, you know, going at this tootling pace and having my helmet decorated with flowers or it's full gas race car mode. So, you know, how bikes is part of my life has, has been quite funny, but it's, it's definitely part of the fabric of my family and my life in such a great way. Uh, and so creating this organization and building a community around it was such a natural thing. I mean, it's something that we love to do and the ladies involved and that you get to ride with are just amazing. It's been so awesome. Yeah, that's quite a spectrum of riding that maybe <laughs> not a lot of people get to cover with the kind of regularity that you do. <laughs> How did you get into mountain biking in the first place, though? What was the, the start like for you? Well, when I was eight, my mom took us on a ride 
And my sister and I didn't have gears or a light bike. And she took us up this hill called Shillhammer. And we both broke down in tears. <laughs> and so our, our introduction to the sport was like riding around the neighborhood. And then it, it went to Shillhammer to, to a fast end for a number of years. And then um, in our teenage years, we were reintroduced to it. And we're ski racers and, you know, cross-country runners. So it was, it was the perfect cross between the two uh, sports and we fell in love with it. I mean, we went to our first race, which was in Mount Snow and happened to be nationals. And we got picked up by this team. And at that point, we didn't even know you could change tires. So saying that we were swept up into the sport was a complete understatement. Leah raced uh, that national race and it was the second or third race we did. And she qualified for worlds. We both did, but they didn't realize I was I was too young to compete at that point. So it was just a whirlwind. It was like the best thing that ever happened to us. That's yeah, quite a, an abrupt uh, rise yeah. through it, I guess. Where did you grow up that this somewhat inauspicious start <laughs> to your career got uh, took place? Uh, we grew up in Vermont, in northern Vermont. So I live uh, probably an hour or so away from the Canadian border. Um up, up in Vermont. And, you know, it's part of a community where being outside and being active is, is just part of the lifestyle. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been part of what we've done in, in a number of different realms. And it was just go out and have fun doing what you're doing. And so that's what we did. So to bring it back to Little Bellas, where did the idea for the organization originate and how did you get it started? I mean, it's been really interesting because in ski racing and running, we saw kind of an equal number of participants, both men and women. And ski racing is this gritty sport that takes a tremendous amount of courage to just hurl yourself down an icy slope. And then running is a sport that's grueling in a different sense where it's long and it's hard and it takes, you know, this enduring effort. And so seeing equal amounts of men and women participate that and then switching into the bike sphere and just having these, this lack of female participation, it was a kind of a head scratcher. And instead of complaining about it, we said, let's do something and let's create something. And we ran, my sister and I ran into this woman, Angela Irvin, who had some of the same thoughts, but for different reasons. And those different reasons were so valuable. Her perspective was really, really great. And it tempered, you know, what our sister dynamic brought to it in a positive way. And so she wanted to create role models and, and build confidence. And instead of just exposing people to the sport, we, she begged of us to do more. And then about five years later, um, Richard Kennett's are, got involved in the organization who's now the chair of our board and really, you know, grew this business mindset where we could and framework where we could bring it to other people and new locations and set up a structure that fully supported um, what we were doing. And so, you know, in, in forming and founding, I kind of look at it as a few founders in a couple of different stages, but it, um, yeah, the original idea was born out of just that difference in participation and seeing, you know, that disparity. Yeah, that makes sense. And when would this have been that you were kind of getting things off the ground? 
So we started in 2007 and then have been going ever since. We really, uh, you know, in 2007, we developed a concept. And then in 2014 was when we were truly founded as a nonprofit and uh, really started to grow as an organization. Okay. And can you give us a bit of a more detailed rundown on the various programs that Little Bellas offers and what it is that you sort of do operationally? Sure. Uh, So we have a weekly in camp program where those girls start at seven or eight and they play a ton of games. You know, instead of teaching them, okay, bike body separation when you're descending, we play bike limbo and have them get behind their seats and throw their bikes forward and try to get under a limbo stick. And it, we use all these fun different tactics to actually teach them bike skills. So they'll go home and say, oh my gosh, I went through a color powder tunnel and played bike limbo. And really what they learned was how to descend and how to get behind their bike. Um, so it's disguised fun. And then uh, we have, we try to graduate our participants through um, and they can become a junior mentor or they can uh, join our ride programs where it resembles like a shop ride where they show up and it starts getting them used to that aspect of instead of play adventure um, where they're visiting different trail networks and for the love of mountain biking, going out as a group and having a great time. Um, And then, you know, we really like to have the girls integrate into their communities, whether it's a race league or being part of the other programs that are being offered and and cycle back in as mentors, as volunteers in these different organizations. I just believe that kids aren't being asked to participate in their communities in ways that they could be. And we've seen a tremendous amount of success in creating this full life cycle where they can come back, give back to the seven-year-olds and be a role model. If you ask a kid to be a role model, they will most definitely rise to the challenge. And, and we've seen that a lot in our programs. So in offering different things, it's it's really an avenue to make sure that they're being called upon in, in the way that, you know, their potential uh, begs. That's super cool. And kind of at what age are you bringing people into that junior mentor role? Where does that loop sort of close, I guess. Yeah. So they can, um, they can participate as a junior mentor when they're 14. They uh, can be a mentor when they're 18. And then in that time frame, they have the ride program as well. Right. Okay. So there's definitely sort of this emphasis on bringing people in when they're relatively young and then just keeping them as part of the organization and building a community that way. Is that kind of a fair way to assess it? Yeah, but, you know, there is one difference, though. There's no sense of ownership, you know, and keeping them as part of the community actually meant the broader community, where if they want to race, go race. If you want to, you know, be part of some enduro series, have at it, you know, and and we're here if you want. But if if they're doing a lot of adventurous pursuits and feel confident and comfortable to do that, then that's a win to me. Super cool. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And something we haven't really touched on yet, but probably ought to. I think I have have it right. You basically are kind of operating with 
quite a few chapters at this point in various places around the country. <laughs> yeah, so we we have 18 states that we operate in um, and we're at about 38 locations, um, various cities within those states. And, uh, and so we have, um, you know, something upwards of 48 program leads. And right now, currently we have 600 volunteer mentors signed up for the program and they're just tremendous. They're so amazing, these ladies. Um, and so there's, there's this network of women all over the country that are willing to volunteer, you know, evenings, mornings, whenever it is to ride with girls. Yeah. That's a, a big network and quite a few people involved. And then do you have a rough number of kind of how many current uh, participants that all adds up to? Yeah, so it's about 1,500 right now. That's where we're currently operating. That's a lot of girls. It is. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And one tidbit from the website that I read and kind of prepping for this that I found particularly interesting was – well, to quote it, girls and boys share similar attitudes about exercise and bicycling until age 14, according to a study by the University of Portland, after which point girls fear injury and in their own athletic competence. We believe mountain biking affords girls the autonomy to define success on their own terms, as well as learn from and celebrate the successes of their peers. And so, mm -hmm. it yeah, it seems like a big part of what you're focusing on is bringing girls in before that kind of attitude shift happens and develop this lifelong pursuit before you yeah. hit this point where that becomes a, a bigger barrier to get over. But how, or I guess, how do you as an organization sort of think about that and attempt to combat that sort of change in attitude or get over that, that hurdle? You know, it's really interesting because you see a growing kid and, and when they come in at seven, they have this perception that they don't have that self-reflection yet where they're necessarily seen in the eyes of others. It's a beautiful thing about being a kid. You know, it's why kids at, at outdoor concerts are all dancing in the front. And then, you know, you've all seen that where they, they're just shaking it. And, and they just don't have that perception of self yet through others' eyes. And there's a transition that happens at about 10 where they start to understand that other people are perceiving them and they start to bounce up against that. And then at 13, they start to try to define themselves in terms of those perceptions and say, I'm a this and I'm a that because I'm good at something. And, and so when they start to, you know, define who they are based on what they're doing, that's when I find that these kids drop out. So if you can get to them before that time frame and say, you are what you love instead of you are what you're good at, because all these competitive sports are are putting that message in. If you're not on the A team, you're not a soccer player. If you're if you don't make varsity, you aren't a fill in the blank. And and so in our program being non-competitive, you can say you are what you love. You are what you're passionate about. You are kindness. You are who your insides are. And it's a very different message and it's subtle, but you won't get as many girls dropping out if they start to feel like I am a mountain biker 
because I go out and I ride my bike. And, and that frame shift where I go ride weekly and that's something I do and that's something I can identify with, not because I made the A-team or I made the cut, um, is pretty valuable for a teenage girl because that self-identification is something that is a tough time. I think we've all been there. And if you have something to hang your hat on that's related to what you love, it's a, it's a pretty steadying influence. The idea of that developing is just in tandem with the development of being self-conscious is an interest. And that makes a ton of sense. It, and your line about uh, kids at concerts is totally spot on. It's just you, there's an age where you just absolutely don't care. And yeah. And then there's an age where you really do. Right. And your parents <laughs> are embarrassing and everything's embarrassing. And it's like, why does that happen? It's because you have the first time that you're perceiving yourself through someone else's eyes and oh, I'm being judged, you know, and I can't twirl around in my sundress with reckless abandon. Not that you have your sundress on, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch kids go through that because we have kids that are um, with us for so long and for so many years that you witness this um, change in perception of self. And uh, yeah, it's something that's been actually quite, gratifying in being with the program for so long and doing it for 15 years. You know, some of the women that we have involved were in the program when, when they were seven. So it's, yeah, the first founding year, we still have um, almost seven of those mentors involved. And then the founding year that we uh, started, we have, I think, five of those girls still involved in the program. Oh, that's great. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> 14 years later now. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty special. We already touched on this a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to kind of get into in a little bit more detail was the emphasis on making it a super non-competitive environment. And, you know, you've got a pretty impressive roster of pro ambassadors, certainly not least among them, Leah, and then some other big names like Kate Courtney and Chloe Woodruff and so on. But um, it does um, seem like making the the overall vibe of in the environment non-competitive is both a pretty significant kind of specific goal of yours and it makes a lot of sense as sort of just a way to make it feel open to everyone and like you said not push people out because they don't feel like they belong for you know whatever level of ability they might be at but i'm just curious to hear a little bit more about how you actually go about fostering that and how you what sort of steps you take to to bring that about in something that you know does or can have a real competitive aspect to it oh absolutely i mean there are small decisions and then there are really big ones and when the pro ambassadors visit the program you know they're inherently really competitive um and so putting them in a situation where it's a Q&A and the questions that come up with the seven-year-old uh, are 
take that com- competition and the world-class aspect of who they are and, and diffuse it quite a bit. I mean, when our pros come, they're, you know, they're introduced. And for example, when Leah came to the program, she was introduced as a two-time Olympian and, um, and she was on her way to Rio. And one of the girls said, what state's that in? And just the concept of the Olympics didn't exist to her. And it was such a beautiful thing. And then she goes, okay, so you seem pretty good at this sport. Can you ride to the top of that mulch pile? And all the girls in the group were like, yeah, can you? And so instead of, you know, being a world-class athlete that day, Leah ended up riding repeatedly trying to ride to the top of this mulch pile and it was the most fun the girls had had trying to watch her do it and so all the parents visited you know their kids after and said oh yeah you know you you had a visit from the olympian and da, 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 how did it go and they go well she is really really good she could ride to the top of that thing um and so you know sometimes it's not about um what they can do on the world stage it's it's just about meeting kids where they're at and, you know, uh, relating to them on their favorite ice cream flavor and whatnot. But in terms of like how we tamp down competition on the day to day, you know, there are always girls at the front of a group chomping at the bit um, and applauding them for, for that and, and, you know, meeting them in that uh, and trying to rotate it up at the front is something we do. But the program is really about that girl who's off the back, who isn't being applauded in a a lot of other arenas in her life and making sure that she feels good and taking the time that some other organizations or, or sports might not be able to take. And, and so while like we applaud our pro ambassadors and those girls that naturally lend themselves to athletics, it's, it's taking that time to make sure each and every girl, regardless of athletic inclination is, is getting it. Cause that's something cycling can do, which excites me when I get to teach a girl how to bike. Oh, it's the best day. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a powerful and exciting thing. And I guess one thing I'd be curious about too is, you know, I'm sure there's a huge range, but uh, to what extent do you have girls coming in who have a bit of experience biking or mountain biking and know that they're kind of into it versus just totally new and this is something that they're choosing to try maybe in large part because Little Bellas exist that they might not otherwise? I'd imagine there's a spectrum there, but how would you kind of break that down? Well, I mean, it's interesting because it it really varies based on geography. We run a program in Boulder and (laughs) those kids show up and they can rip. I mean, I've never seen a girl wheelie drop uh, something that didn't clear her bottom bracket at seven until I went to Boulder. And it was it was unbelievable. Um, yeah, those girls are incredibly skilled and it's so cool to be a part of that. And then, you know, you go to some of our other geographies that um, just don't have as thick of a mountain biking community or background. And even in some places where um, they do, we try to target those that don't have the opportunity and get them involved in it. And so, you know, we've had programs this year run, um, for example, we had one here in Vermont where none of the girls had ever mountain biked before. And you should have heard the chatter in that group. Every route, 
every turn, the girls were talking to one another and they're like, we are still turning everyone. We're still turning. There are roots everywhere. You know, there was a vocalization about each root and obstacle because everyone was new to it. That was just unreal. I mean, any, everything deserved a warning in their perspective to the rest of the group. And so the chatter was something that you would never hear in an experienced group, but man, did they take to it. It was really cool. Oh, that sounds delightful. <laughs> yes, it was awesome. It. <laughs> still turning. That was my favorite. <laughs> turning, <laughs> still turning. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah. You sort of touched on this again a little bit in that last answer too, but one of the things the website makes a big point of also is just eliminating barriers to participation being an important thing, right? Obviously, you're going to have people coming from all kinds of different financial backgrounds and levels of experience with bikes and all this kind of stuff. Tell us a little bit about how you go about trying to break those barriers down and just make sure that you're accessible to whoever. So our uh, our gear up program really tries to break down those barriers. Bikes are there are a lot of logistics involved with bikes and we have been sending bikes all over the country. So bike flights actually partners with us and um, we'll ship kind of the onesie twosie bikes uh, that are needed in different chapters for any girl in need, which has been awesome. And then um, in certain chapters, we have to have more bikes available, like in Philly or in Cuyuna, Minnesota, they, they have a pretty sizable fleet there. Um, but it goes down to the level. So you have to peel back the onion a little further when you think about what a parental unit might offer. Um, And you have to think about, okay, can this girl take a bike home? Does she have a safe, secure place to store it? Uh, Does she have a bike rack or a car that can fit it? And, um, you know, is the bike going to be indoors? Because everybody hates a rusty chain. And so we have ways to troubleshoot all of those if the answer is no. And our mentors do a tremendous job. Just awesome. And when a family can't support that equipment need, um, they'll bring the bike to the program and then we'll get an at-home loaner that can sit outside locked and uh, and the girls can use it when they need to. Um, but their bike at the program is shiny and brand new. So they can come to the program and have a bike that's mountain bike equipped. And then they go home and they can ride their other bike at home that won't get stolen or won't be sold for rent or, you know, um, have all these various things happen or that have happened in the past uh, when we've sent different bikes home. So it's it, the goal in the equipment is to make sure that there's a bike at home and a, a good working bike at the program. And so you want a kid to be able to ride inside and outside the program. And so solving that isn't a one size fits all for each family. It's incredibly different and unique. And you have to learn what the family needs to solve their specific subset of barriers. And so we try to do that. And our local program leads and mentors are the ones that are actively learning about the families and and solving those issues. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just interesting to think about all of the different sort of steps that 
all kind of need to fall into place to be able to manage having a nice bike and get it to where you need it to be to ride it. And there's, it's a lot. It's a, yeah. an expensive, difficult sport to participate in for a lot of people. And just really cool that you guys are thinking all of this through so clearly and taking the steps you need to, to make it happen. We're trying, we try our best. I mean, we haven't said no to a single girl yet. We've solved getting her a bike, even if it's in an unconventional way, um, you know, to, to every girl who's asked, um, who has a need. That's really cool. And (laughs) if, People listening to this wanted to get involved somehow, either as participants or to help out in some capacity. How would you suggest they go about that? What can people do? Oh, yeah, we'd love to help. So um, there are a couple ways, uh, you know, on our website, you can see if we have a chapter if you near you, if you want to volunteer um, and just submit an application under join us. Um, you know, there's probably the more conventional way is just donate, but um, only if you believe in what we're doing. And then, uh, and then the other thing is we get a lot of new chapter applications when, um, new areas get excited and sometimes we'll get them from parents and whatnot. And what we really hinge on is having a motivated, uh, woman who's ready to start a chapter. And so finding that person in your community, who's really ingrained in the community is so important. Uh, to start a chapter. So we do have a new chapter application on there, but um, it, we really love to see it come from, you know, that motivated individual who's ready to start a real program. Yeah. I mean, sounds like a sizable undertaking, but also a pretty cool one. So <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good that you're opening that up and working on growing and just very impressed with what you're doing. Well, thanks. It's been fun. Labor of love. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might be a little bit of a reach given that we've covered some pretty pretty big ideas on your end already, but given the name of the podcast as Bikes and Big Ideas, uh, we do like to close by asking, I guess, just what is your big idea? So I have two ideas that relate to bikes in this space of kids and girls. And so my first idea is well we we actually did it with specialized which was the coolest thing ever so i see so many um kids and girls right now that just in in the name of their devices if you think about it it's the iphone right and and they have social media and they're being told personalized filter you know do these different things grab a picture and add flowers around your head or make cat ears you know whatever it is there it's it's this age of being personalized and so it was so cool because I took this idea to Specialized and they actually made a little Bella's branded bike that had sticker sheets where the girls had an alphabet sheet and then a sticker sheet where they could personalize their bike. I said, why are we picking decals for them? Let's let them decide. And I think the more that you can let kids like personalize and have choice and um, add their own flair that's what they're gravitating to right now. And it's been awesome to see um, how much they love when they're given that option. So just in terms of product development, that's what I love to see. Um, And then the other thing, um, light kids bikes. (laughs) 
Hi. Oh my goodness. These kids bikes away so much. And, and so in seeing some of these kids bikes come out and, and just be lighter, um, I think that's the best thing ever. Um, because you know, when's the last time that you had fun ped- pedaling an 80 pound bike uphill? And that's what we're doing power to weight with these, with these little kids. Um, it's probably the reason that my sister and I hated riding bikes when we were eight. So, um, that's pretty great. But I think, uh, the, the personalization piece with kids is, is just one of my all time favorites to see. That's really good. I like that a lot. (laughs) Awesome. We'll see who else we can get on that train. But uh, <laughs> yeah, throw it out there. <laughs> Any of your future guests that ask you what your favorite <laughs> was, you could tell, well, you should do this thing. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pass that around. It's, it's great, good. great. Shop it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been super fun and thanks for coming on. It's been great and keep up the good work. You're really doing something pretty special there. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate uh, you having me. It's, it's pretty great to be on. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you were enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Sabre for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.